is 220. That's 220, who is a Czech new wave, and I don't know whether I'm going to get a wave of um, non-plussed faces here, but Jirash Hurts. Ah, mm. yes, yes, of course. Yeah. Uh, that one, I very rarely watch anything else. Is, is that the, the, I woke up and was burned by a cup of tea, or whatever the name of that film is? <laughs> Tomorrow I'll wake up and scarf myself with tea. If you haven't yes. seen that, by the way, do watch it. It's, what? It's, it's the wildest <laughs> Czech time-travelling comedy about holidays in, through time and Hitler that you'll ever see. Sold. Sold. Speaking of time travel comedies, that that topic will come up again in just a minute, I think. This yeah. is very true. It will indeed. Um, Judash Hertz is one of the... I think he's got a crossover appeal. He's, I mean, if, if you've not seen it, I think everybody should see The Cremator. That is a, a haunting, uh, haunting film. You will never, ever forget that. I've heard that yeah. one, yeah. Um, he's the Morgiana, which is also a very good movie. He's done a version of uh, Beauty and the Beast, which wasn't... Uh, I mean, usually it's like a... What, it's like a bear sort of cat thing, isn't it, usually, in adaptations mm. of that? Yeah. yeah. But in that one, it's got a bird head. So, sure. yeah. He's got interesting stuff there. So, mm. I'm the only one who has a horse in this race. So, <laughs> that's, that is fine. Well, that's just the way it is, really. But I do recommend, if you've not seen The Cremator, uh, do check that out because, yeah, it's amazing. I've seen The Cremator and you are 100% correct. It's wonderful. And welcome back to Directors Uncut. Uh, we are a podcast that puts filmmakers from all corners of the globe onto a huge list that covers everything from 1950s sci-fi B-movies to French New Wave. Uh, then we pick a name from a huge bank of directors to chat about them and their work through two films. To do this, I am joined by a rotating cast of guest hosts, to discuss really awkward and severe Czech New Wave movies. <laughs> and today, to do that, I have been joined by a nostalgic pair. Indeed, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, Graham and Aidan, hello there. Hi. Hello. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, if you're new to the, this trio, um, in a former life we used to do a podcast called Cinema Eclectica for about 300 episodes. Yeah, it went for a while, yes. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so I hinted at sort of severe Czech New Wave movies. So that kind of sets up who we're talking about today. I'm sure I've pronounced this wrong, as I always seem to with these names, as like, we did last time when we had Jonathan on, and he pronounced the name that I... It doesn't, it doesn't sound like that when I say it. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm sure I'm saying this wrong too, but Jurash Hurts. I think that's it. Yeah, that's what I'm going with. I can't imagine his name being pronounced any other way. Well, I've been proven wrong. The Czech <laughs> language is a labyrinth, yes. Yeah, yeah. words don't sound like what they're supposed to. But yeah, um, how are you both? All oh, right, yes. Yeah, it's uh, been quite mad recently because I've been doing that enormous Lucas Moodison box set review, which is up on the Geek Show now. Um, mm. So that's been exciting, it's a, a journey. Mm. Yeah, I haven't edited it. There's some... Severe movies there too, isn't there? Whew. Absolutely, yes. Yeah, um, I think I, I should warn people that for like the next month or so, I will probably only be talking about a hole in my heart because I just I want to make sure it happened. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, I, I've not, not been doing anything as quite as Blake as that. I did a bit of slam dance coverage because I thought I don't write much these days, so I'll do some. Mm. Writing mm. and doing writing and editing at the same time. I think I went into some sort of never realm uh, <laughs> of, of being overworked and not quite sure what's going on. But you're on the other side of whatever dissociative episode you were having yeah. now, right? Yeah, and it was the perfect mood. So I don't know if you've either of you heard it, but the um, Japanese horror movie from the festival scene, New Religion. I did see your review of that. Yeah, that does look ace. No, I haven't, haven't quite yet, no. That's wonderful. But when I hear to talk about that, it's um, Jurash Hurts. 
Indeed. Um, mm-hmm. As ever with this thing, I, I ask this question, but I already know the answer. Um, mm-hmm. Where did you first hear of this this director? This what was your first exposure to him? Shall shall I kick things off first? Because I think the 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 answer that Rob's seeking is that there's a second run. There's a Blu-ray label on here in the UK called Second Run. Yeah, and mm-hmm. um. And that's how I first came to know of Hertz, because if you don't know who Second Run are, they do a lot of Eastern, obscure Eastern European films, like mostly yeah. from the 60s and 70s they released from. So a lot of Hungary, films from Hungary, a lot of films from Poland, and a lot of films from Czechoslovakia and the Czech New Wave. And Hearst was a prominent name in that. And it was actually during, um, I think it was during our run, during Cinema Eclectica, whenever like Graham had got like a des- disc from Second Run to review, I just kept questioning myself, what what is this label that Graham and Rob are blabbering on about? I need to <laughs> investigate more. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and it was like, I think it was The Cremator, which is one of the films that we're talking about uh, from Hearst today, that uh, I think I did a written review for The Geek Show years and years back. When mm. someone put it out, so that's how I first came to know about hers. We do world premieres since then in world premieres. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that is the only real answer, isn't it? Second run, I have a lot to answer for, as far yes. as three at the very least. Absolutely, yeah. I think for me, I should point out that I'd seen Gerard Hertz, I'd seen one of his films because he has an incredible cameo in an early Jan Svankmeyer short film called The Flat, where he materializes inside the hero's wardrobe and rushes out holding a live chicken. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Which sort of sets him up, really, doesn't it? I think if you're going to be introduced to the guy's work, that's. uh, But yeah, like Aiden. The first thing I saw was The Cremator. I was very aware of The Cremator as a movie that had a mammoth reputation. And since then, I've also uh, seen Sweet Games of Late Summer, his version of Beauty and the Beast, which is very good indeed. Uh, and Morgiana, which we did for quite a late episode of Cinema Eclectica. We did, yeah. I'm a big fan of Morgiana. It's a, a very weird movie. Um, as far as I recall, it's the only film which has a first-person perspective camera shot of a cat, just sort of <laughs> yes. being a cat. It's, it's a good cat movie. Uh, <laughs> I, yeah. That yeah. sounds like the most Hersian thing to do. <laughs> Completely. Just, just give a POV shot to a bloody cat. But I bet you make it work. I bet you make it work. He does. He does. Um, but Aidan mentioned it earlier. Um the first movie you're going to talk about, doing them chronologically, uh, mm. so the earliest first, it's uh, 1969's The Cremator. Yeah. If ever there was a movie that will ruin your day. So if you are watching along with this podcast, I'm sorry for what we are about to do to you. Well, it's it's quite a simple plot in a lot of ways. It's about Mr. Kopkingel, uh, a man who runs a local crematorium in Prague. He's quite a everyday suburban guy with everyday suburban opinions. He's spiritual but not religious. He's a family man, but you know he does cheat on his wife with the local prostitutes. You know he's quite a, a dull guy with dull ideas, except for this one thing where you slowly realise that Copra Kingle lives in the 1930s. And mm. we're hearing rumours about an army on the Czechoslovak border. And Kopfkingel is not concerned about this because he believes we live in an orderly, decent world. And if somebody's going to invade, they must be orderly, decent people. And they do invade. And one of them is impressed by how loyal he is and comes to him and says, you know, we're planning a project here that's going to require a lot of crematoriums. Mm. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. So, Aidan, what's your feeling on this one? Well, I'd seen The Cremator... This is my second time seeing The Cremator, so I had seen it before for the head of the the Geek Show review that I did a few years back. And um, 
I think there's only like one suitable way you could really react to the cremator, mm. and that is ah, <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah, it's right on that pedal from the start, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I can't even think of another way to react to it. <laughs> well, it's in in essence, it's a, it's kind of a simple character study mm. about a man and his family. But it's a, a man who I think he stands for something which is quite weird. He believes in the purity of death, and he reads mm. a, I think it was the Tibetan Book of the Dead. Yes, yes, yeah. Um, which is a stance for a cremator to take because a cremator is kind of. It's kind of a benign profession, isn't it? You don't really get involved in anything. But uh, his philosophies are very different. He, yeah, he's, mm. he's a big believer in the essential goodness of cremation. He thinks it's a way to liberate souls. I think part yeah. of what Hertz is tilting at here is there was a great interest in Eastern spirituality in Europe, in continental Europe during the 20s and 30s, which in a benign sense, you know, leads you to a novel like Siddhartha by Hermann Hesse. And in a not so great sense, I mean, the Nazis didn't just start using the swastika for no reason. No, yeah, yeah. Stole, stole it from Japan, but yeah. Yeah. How can I take this? Because we don't want to spoil it too much, really, do we? Because it, it does have one of those uh, moments towards the end of it where you're watching and you're thinking, is this what I think it is? Absolutely. The feeling in your gut just falls as you sort of draw the lines together. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I think we should... We, we should maybe fight shy of that i know we've been a very spoily podcast in the past but i think there is something about encountering that ending when you do not know what is coming that is mm. extraordinary yeah because in a lot of ways it, it's kind of his it's a Kofferfingel's descent into madness in a lot of ways he you see like yeah. this very dull when you initially encounter him he's very dull he's very creepy you know, mm. looking guy because he has a greasy comb over and um, he's really spout. He's obsessed with death yeah. and cremation. Um, I think in one way he puts it, uh, what Graham was saying earlier, he says that he kind of, I don't want to, I guess boasting about how like um, he can disintegrate a body in like 75 minutes, but for like, if it, for a corpse to go, I'm sorry guys, but for the, for like a corpse for um, to go inside a coffin, it takes like at least 20 years or so. So for that soul to be liberated and move on to like the, I think it's like the eternal land that he describes it as. Um, and it's like, it's really like very heavy on, but at the same time, you just can't escape the man's world and how he sees it. That it's like his own descent into madness, insanity, depravity in a lot of ways. And yeah, it's like a completely messed up film, but you can't get away from it. The whole film is trapping you inside that world because anyone who hasn't seen Hertz's work before, and I think when we first watched The Cremator, that was all of us, right? It was our yes. first Hertz mm. film mm. in all three cases. You will be unprepared, I think, for what this looks like. It's a very sort of jaggedly edited film. There are, as we said with Morgiana, a lot of point of view shots, a lot mm. of bizarre angles, a lot of fisheye lenses, including one fisheye close-up of a fish's eye, which I think <laughs> is a cinematic first. And it, it does make you feel as as disordered as the time it's set in, really. Yeah, yeah. And it also gives him, like, the point of view of, like, how his own madness is, like, just basically engulfed him himself, not just the viewer as well. Yeah. I mean, like, there's the scene where um, he's, like, chasing someone around the crematorium. I won't say how or why, but it's, like, it's like a maze how it's designed, like, a, you know, through and around the coffins. Uh, just the return to the editing comment, because if you just say editing is abstract, it, it doesn't really mean a lot in the grand scheme mm. unless you've got some sort of point of reference for it. Mm. Um, I think contemporary-wise, the easiest sort of uh, person who, to pick who's been inspired by it would probably be Peter Strickland. Yeah. Um, in particular in... Mm. Oh, I always forget what it's called. Uh, the movie he did after Barbarian Sound Studio. The Duke of Burgundy. Yes, uh, Duke of Burgundy and... Berian, I think them two are the the movies that sort of share the most in common. Um, mm. 
Yeah. Well, there's an explicit reference to this in Bavarian Sound Studio. The uh, scenes of the the sort of cut-out animation scenes of heads splitting in half mm. that are in the opening credits to the Cremator are used for the opening credits to the film within a film in Bavarian mm. Sound Studio. Because mm. yeah. that is the, the fundamental style, isn't it? It's lots of cutouts. It's It's yeah. very erratic, and it sort of like blades out into... I don't know how to describe it, sort of um, confetti. <laughs> it's a way of looking at the yeah. world, and you can see it in a lot of Czech films. That what, One of the things that I love about Czech and Slovak films of this era, and we should say Slovak because although yeah. Hertz is working in uh, Prague, he, he is Slovak uh, mm. himself, yeah. but there is a way they have a framing everything that is inherently funny to me. It's very tight, very awkwardly angled, very strangely composed. You get the sense that everyone is wearing a suit that's a bit too small. Yeah. <laughs> that's a nice way of putting it. Yeah. But I think that is the, the easiest way to describe it sort of visually out, without sort of uh, referring to the imagery. It is sort of visual confetti, lots of shapes, lots of angular things going on it happens in yeah. um very Lover's daisies as well where yes sort of yes yeah gives way to sort of manic colors and shapes as sort of like this idea of somebody losing their mind yeah yeah kitty lover is doing the psychedelic version of this and hertz is definitely doing the gothic version of it mm. yeah yeah it, it is a, a gothic movie mm. very gothic i mean 1930s czechoslovakia forget that. yeah Mm. <laughs> yeah, not much fun there. No, yeah, definitely not. No. Definitely not. No, even with like how depraved and kind of bonkers this film is, and how like insidious it can be at times, there's a very, very dark undercurrent of black humor in it as well. There's a there's an anecdote that I heard her say once that I think sheds a lot of light on his sensibility because one of the incredible things about the cremator is that Hertz was imprisoned in Ravensbrück, the Nazi concentration mm, yes, camp for women and children when he was a kid. Um, and, and firstly, it's incredible that anyone would go through that and make a film about it. It's doubly incredible that someone would make a film about it from the perspective of one of the guards. Um, mm. But I think the thing that really gives you a key to his worldview is that Hertz was scheduled to be executed, but they right. brought the wrong quantity of poison gas. And by the time the Allies turned up to liberate that camp, the Nazis were still conducting an internal inquiry into how that had been allowed to happen. So he said, that that's my worldview, is that I knew at the age of 10 that I only am alive because of a bureaucratic screw-up. And I think that's where he, he gets this attitude of the Nazis as people who are both very evil and also very petty and pathetic. Yeah. it's It tells a lot, actually. It's an interesting mm. story there. It does yeah. have sort of a Jorgos Lanthimos sort of quality to it as a... Yes, yeah, definitely. Humor. Yeah. Um, but it, it's... I don't think it's... It's quite pedestrian-paced. It's mm. it's when you talk about sort of um, these movies about uh, I don't know try to talk around it. It's all very very difficult. But these fractured characters, these disturbed characters, it doesn't really play out like that. It doesn't play out like a Henry Potter of a serial killer or a no. man bites dog. It's yeah, it's quite a straightforward family drama um, mm. as it starts. Uh, they go to the fair together. Um, yeah, admittedly, what. <laughs> the character i'm not trying to pronounce him because i'll get it wrong mm-hmm. uh, does he goes into this very morbid display when the rest of his family wants to go and have fun you know enjoy the fair. yes he's making a big line for the freak show mm-hmm. uh, yeah so it, it's it's not done in a sort of a bleak way for a long time it's it's just sort of that close slow creeping realization sort of stretched out for up two hours yeah mm-hmm. and I, I think that's it'd be very easy to do a version of this movie where you just basically treat him as a villain yes yeah the movie doesn't really treat him as a villain it just yeah because i I like to think of it as the the comparison point is probably and even then it's probably a bit thin is like fritz lang's m Mm. and with m's it's 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 a very different story because even with i think it's hans beckett the the peter laurie character who's like that in m even though he's a complete deranged monster 
uh, Lang's still getting to the heart of his character, saying that there is kind of like this tortured humanity to him, especially mm. how it breaks down in like the final sequences of M. With the cremator, on a comparison level, it isn't really like that because it is m- more like a slow build-up of all this man's like ideology and his philosophy. And then, you know, from seeing like this very dull, ordinary person into like this complete lunatic, really. Yeah, I'd never thought about that before, but the cremator's almost the opposite of M, isn't it? You've got this mm. almost, you've got this very Peter Laurie-ish looking leading man, but rather than him being introduced to you as a monster and slowly finding the humanity in him, you've introduced to him as a human being and you slowly realise he's a monster. Yes, yeah. Yeah, and I think that's to its credit. I think that's kind of what that's what Hertz is doing, really, with this character yeah. and how to explore with, um, you know, like as I was saying before, his philosophy and ideology. Yeah, um, it's a doubly interesting sort of bit of casting as well because isn't the lead actor also Jewish? So I, I didn't know that, but that's yeah, Rudolf Rosinski. Yeah, um, he is incredible in this. You do see him in a lot of Czech and Slovak movies around this time. Um, but I've, I learned that apparently his um, big role before this, the thing that made his name, was the title role in an adaptation of The Good Soldier Svek, which is like Czechoslovakia's emblematic comic novel, you know, as much as wow. something like Huckleberry Finn would be for America. Yeah. It's about this lovable, roguish character. And there is a certain genius in seeing Shrek and thinking, yeah, that guy could be a Nazi. Mm. <laughs> and you do put, yeah. you notice these faces as well. I mean, I noticed, I didn't even notice this in my first viewing notice, but um, Hiri Menzel's in this as well. As, um, <laughs> he is. As the, as the assistant to uh, Kopfringle's uh, cremation. That's a terrible, yeah. terrible habit of smoking in the crematorium, yes. Yeah. Well, they do that a lot, don't they? Like, actors and directors are appearing in each other's stuff all of the time. You, just, mm. you notice it across the board and check. You know, maybe there just wasn't a great pool of actors. So, well, yeah. maybe. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean... All of the directors are just acting in each other's things. <laughs> like, I think Patty and the guests is full of other directors. It's just... Completely, yes. Yeah. Yeah, but um, no, it was great seeing Menzel in it because there was a great little moment where um, Kofringle's like uh, showing him his gas incinerators, which is obviously the most horrifying thing you could like introduce anyone to. Yeah, and then, and then immediately uh, Menzel just whack hits his head off the gas furnace, <laughs> which I thought was quite funny. <laughs> we'll have a lot to say about Jimmy Menzel as an actor in this, but he's uh, obviously a great director too. He did closely observe trains mm. and. Uh, I think Aidan, you and I have both seen that amazing uh, Shivendra Singh Dunper uh, I think you're right. Yeah, checkmate. Yeah, checkmate. Yeah, which is yeah. brilliant. It is incredible. Yeah, and, and I mean, especially I mean, if you if you can sit through like 15 hours of um, like an odyssey of Czechoslovak cinema and just like ticking off your watch list with Yuri Menzel right. at the forefront, uh, that's yeah. I think gross overstatement. It's seven and a half hours. <laughs> I thought it was. Fi- I thought it was fifteen. Wow, it flew by for you then, didn't it? <laughs> I thought it was my bad. Um, <laughs> I think I'm getting my documentaries mixed up here. Um, I'm, I'm no, in, no, yeah, no, it's like sure, probably. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, can, I can understand why you're thinking about Claude Landsman at a time like this. Um, I think sort of the elephant in the room here is if, if you look at this episode in the feed and you see a, a name from some European state that you've never heard, mm. it's going to be a hard sell to even get you to think about a Czech movie. Mm. So I think yeah. uh, just I think this is the opportunity really to sort of explain that it's not what you like, perceive it to be. Mm. There's like this idea that Czech cinema is because it's it's an ex uh, communist state. It's going to be sort of very cold and calculated and rush like Russian cinema. That the image of what mm. people think mm. of Russian cinema and is true for a lot of the cases from my experience. Mm-hmm. But I think that is doing it a disservice, really, because mm-hmm. for my money, um, I think Czech cinema, especially this era of sort of sixties and seventies Czech cinema, is the greatest sort of cinematic movement that never really survived. Yeah, in cases yeah. for Italian cinema and all sorts. But I think Czech. It was the it, it's a movie which, on its face, I don't know where you'd really place it. Sort of a, a fellow cinematic style. Maybe this is you could see like a David Fincher maybe making a movie like this. Someone in that sort of mm. sphere of American cinema. 
It's it's. I think the cremator feels like a script was sent off to David Fincher, and then there was a mix-up, and it ended up with Terry Gilliam instead. Because <laughs> there is, yeah. as with a lot of Czech and Slovak films of this era, there is a kind of antic energy to it. As we mm. say, it's, it's very fast cut. It's full of big bold images, distorting lenses, carnival imagery, all of these things that on the surface seem quite inappropriate for exploring the Holocaust. But mm. Hertz is first and foremost a satirist, and he really takes great pleasure in finding these people who nearly killed him and really sticking the knife into how small-minded and banal and unimpressive these supposed yeah. Aryan supermen were and I think even at its darkest and it gets fucking dark there is is something liberating about that there is something energising about it as well Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's an important thing to stress because there is a, a perception of European cinema outside of, I'd say, I think France and Spain get a, mm. in Italy, get like a free reign. Everything else is All just, work. yeah, it's roughage. Yeah. And yeah. in the case of um, Czech cinema, I think that's a complete disservice because films like this, uh, in particular, sort of one of the most fearless movies I've ever seen. And a, a phrase that I think might, prick up the ears of certain uh, elements of the listenership it, it sort of strays on the lines of both extreme cinema and horror cinema not yes. because of it yeah, being sort yeah. of gross or like extreme cinema is is very gross sort of thematically this is extreme cinema sort of conceptually and i think it's very very smart in what it does mm. and i think by using those two phrases i think they're the yeah. right phrases to use for people yeah, I think it's it's extreme cinema in the ways that it tackles really serious taboo issues. It does them in a way that is both tasteless and righteous, which I think is a great yeah. mix if you can pull it off. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, it makes like I don't know, like Michael Haneke film looks like a carry on installment. <laughs> it's, 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 oh no, don't reduce him to Haneke comparisons. <laughs> I'm not reducing him to Haneke. It does. It... <laughs> I'm reducing Haneke to the work of Sid James. Yes. <laughs> but... Yeah, yeah. But yeah, this is a, a wonderful movie. I think um, it's a hard recommend. Yeah, you have to know who you're recommending it for. If you really want to sort of figure out what a style of cinema is, I think go for the harshest example of it from the off. Yeah, I think there's a certain there's a certain sense to that, and I think if your image of like 1960s Eastern European cinema is that oh, it's probably going to be all quite dry and polite and doctrinaire, then yeah, why not start with this? Because you're never going to be shaken out of that delusion harder than you are here. Yeah. Um, I- is there anything else anybody wants to bring up about the cremator? Because we, we could talk about this for quite a bit, but that would be straying into spoilers. So I think, yeah, there's a lot to talk about. I would I would like to just briefly throw in a mention for Zident Liska's score. Uh, Liska seemed to do the soundtrack for every single movie made in Czechoslovakia between about 1963 and 1972. Uh, but this is interesting because the score is used in a way that's almost ambient it like hovers in the background it feels like you're always at awake it's it's really odd mm. and interesting yeah yeah gives that ethereal quality doesn't definitely it? yeah yeah I, I completely agree um Aiden, anything no I, I just like i say i think i can't really stress it enough i mean if it's if it sounds like your thing then i would say go for it because it is like it is still a remarkable film despite it you know the extreme stances it takes despite um, how delusional and dark it gets. It is like an important film of uh, that era. Yeah. I mean, uh, just to sort of take it a little left, I think um, if it does sound, I mean, move about the Holocaust, it does sound pretty severe, doesn't it? Yeah. But in the same way as I think once a gar movie uh, becomes so gory, it becomes funny. I think it's the same for Blake movies. Once a movie becomes like past like this cutoff point of bleakness, mm. there's like a weird humor to it like you know you shouldn't be laughing but oh it's definitely a satire and i think a number of people have classified it as black comedy and yeah very very black yeah it doesn't get much blacker i mean texas i mean this probably going to get me lynched by certain quarters but texas (laughs) texas chainsaw massacre is a funny film 
Oh, I, I can see it. Yeah, I still have enough memories of watching it as a teenager and being absolutely freaked out that I can't write along with that, but I guess yeah. it. It's it on that line of it's just very, very dark and it's colourful. Admittedly, there are sort of like blood-red hues characters in this. Hmm. Um, yeah, they're intriguing and funny and unique. And I don't know any other sort of national cinema, any other little wave of movies outside of maybe Japan New Wave which would have had the absolute balls to even dare of doing something like this. Yeah, completely agree. It's yes, uh, yeah. one of the best movies of the 1960s. I don't think there's much real competition to it. Maybe even, like, the only thing you could really compare it to is, like, films that were being made in Czechoslovakia at the time, like uh, Valerie Noe of Wonders or Daisies. Mm. It's, it's very hard to topple those three, really. So, it's becoming more apparent... Not only is Gabriel getting stronger, he's becoming more malicious. If his strength and ability continue to grow at this rate, we will no longer be able to contain him. However, I am still determined. Dr. Weaver, he got out again. How far did he get this time? He made it all the way to the records room before we got to him. He found his information. He wants to go home. Dr. Fields, what the hell is happening? I tried to subdue him with ECT, but the electroshock had no effect on him. Then all the machines started going crazy. It was like he was drinking the electricity and controlling our machines. Um, that takes us to the point of the show where we pick who is going to be coming up in an upcoming episode. So between numbers one and between one and four hundred and eighty-two, picking one at random is number uh, one hundred and eighty-seven, which is James Wan, Australian horror director, which everybody loves. <laughs> I do. Yeah, well, some of his everybody films, loves some of his films are great. Everybody loves Malignant. Come yeah, on, Malignant's great. Saw is incredible. Malignant. I think I need to give it a second. Chance. I love Malignant. I watched Dead Silence the other week, and I thought I it was like great. Dead Silence. Dead Silence should be so good, and it's so so boring. I went to the, just to explain. I think I just got a chip on my shoulder with James Wan. It was I went to the cinema to see every single horror movie, probably unwisely, and it was around the era of all of the haunted house movies basically playing out with the same jump scares. Oh. Yeah, and just seeing Insidious is um, seeing uh, the Conjuring with its clap scare. It was just okay, done, tapping out. I've had enough, and maybe held it against them ever since. Maybe unwisely, but I think of all of those haunted house films, um, the Conjuring. Well, the Conjuring is one of the two best <laughs> of that cycle, along with Sinister. Uh, yeah, it's just when you've seen so many of them, it's just white noise after a while, isn't it? So, um, well, I don't know because I. Don't, I, the Conjuring certainly wasn't the first of those that cycle I saw because I was, you know, so averse to them. But when I did eventually watch that one, I thought, oh, wow, this one is actually good. This one is made by a director who knows how to make things a bit scary. So, yeah, it, it, it's, it doesn't matter how many bad ones you see when a good one comes along. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was... Shame can't, shame can't say the same about The Conjuring 2, but, you know. <laughs> I, I think The Conjuring 2 is better. I think that's the best one. I can see why the best conjuring verse movie. I can see why you might. I can see why people would say that because it's kind of got a more a better sense of fun. Um, but I, I don't know if it's just that I couldn't get over the fact that this council flat in Enfield has a fucking huge cellar underneath it. <laughs> <laughs> it. It does have a huge American style cellar, and it does seem to be set in about 1960, despite it yeah. actually being like 1975 yeah. or something. <laughs> His sense of what Britain looked like in the past is kind of slightly out of sync. And doesn't it actually have doesn't it actually have London calling playing over shots of Piccadilly Circus and double decker buses to tell you that it's, tell you that it's in London, Probably. which is not even where it's set. <laughs> Subtle. <laughs> God. All of that aside, the the important bits, the the you know the personal relationships and the and the scares are all mm. good. So I forget. Yeah, there, there is a lot to like about Conjuring too, but um, yeah, I don't know. It, it's any it's not that good. So any epics from James One? Yeah, any of you like? Well, any, stand, any standouts? Saw, Saw is a fucking masterpiece. Saw and I, I mean, I thought Malignant was great. So I, as I said, I also really like Dead Silence, which apparently hasn't got many fans, but I thought it was. Uh, Great gothic. Dead Silence has got a, a brilliant, brilliant yeah. twist, but the film leading up to it is 
so dull. I think Aquaman is certainly not the worst DC superhero movie around. Fast and Furious 7 as well. I mean, it has uh, The Rock holding two miniguns in each hand, firing at people. So (laughs) what else could you want, really? (laughs) He made that, didn't he? He made uh, Fast and Furious there. I didn't realise he... He dipped into that. Yeah, he franchise. did. He did. I think he did Aquaman, Fast and Furious Seven, maybe maybe the other way around, and then used all the money he made from those two films to make Malignant. Yeah, that make that scans. Then yeah, definitely. But, I mean, he probably didn't need to make those films to make Malignant. Seeing as he he's made like the three biggest horror franchises in the 21st century, but you know <laughs> he can basically make whatever he wants now because yeah. he's. I think he's making the next Aquaman film as well, so he's probably got a lot of money from that. He so could make whatever he wanted, and he chose more. to make Malignant. Yeah. Um, that says something. Look at this kid. Velké bohatství vidím peníze až perky. Všechno ve spojení s černou dálou. A to jste vy. So we've picked what's going to be on the next episode. So that brings us to the second uh, Jurash Hurts movie of the day, which isn't a Czech New Wave movie. Uh, I think Czech New Wave was a pretty short wave. I think maybe 10 years tops. Short wave radio. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and this falls after it. Cause yeah. in, the, in the previous Czech director we did as well. Um, what was he called? I can't remember. Carol Zeman. Yeah, he gets uh, everything he does gets sort of uh, summed up as Czech New Wave, which just isn't true. Mm. Um, he predated it and he postdated it. Yeah, yes, which is the same as true here. But uh, the movie we're talking about is nineteen eighty-one. Was it? Um, Ferrat Vampire. Really excited that we got hold of this. By the way, I've been waiting to see this movie for so long. Yeah, um, because like a lot of these films, they're really, really hard to find. Yeah. And um, also, contrarily, they're either hard than impossible to find or they're on YouTube. <laughs> yes, there's no in-between, isn't there? There's no in-between where you might be able to sensibly buy a copy of them unless Second Run have got to them. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and I don't think this is a Second Run sort of movie. I mean, it, it's marginal. It's on the fringes of what Second Run like, but we'll see. It's mm. it's pretty pulpy, isn't it? And I think knowingly so. It's definitely the work of someone having, well, God, more fun than he had with the cremator, I'll put it that way. <laughs> yes. Well, yeah, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for Christ, this is about a vampire car. I mean, what else could you expect? <laughs> yeah, just, we, we just need to explode that bomb. It's about a car that runs on blood. It is basically the Slovak version of the... British Neil Morrissey classic, I bought a vampire motorcycle. Uh, <laughs> well done getting a reference into that. <laughs> but yes, it's that is basically it. The elephant is out of the bag. It's about a pair of ambulance drivers at the beginning. And in a great little scene, um, I think it's, is it tomatoes that crash into a car of? I was, yeah, I was struck by that because we've mentioned daisies and famously daisies was banned. Uh, bec- the official reason was because it showed food being wasted. So clearly that law's gone off the statute books yeah. by now. And uh, we meet a sort of a, a rally Skoda car, which I believe there's a reference in that to uh, tomorrow I wake up and scold myself of tea as far as the colouring of the car. According oh, to Wikipedia, okay. anyway, uh, I wasn't right. I yeah, that's a very scold yeah. uh, that recently, so but, I couldn't call it. But uh, from that, yes, uh, the driver is basically found to have her foot clamped to the accelerator pedal, and she can't take it off, and that sets mm. off a conspiracy involving this German car company called Ferrat, who, yeah, apparently <laughs> they have this new thing because of the oil fuel crisis. That it's a biological car, and it said so many times. It's like it's the most natural thing. This biological <laughs> car. It's like a concept that's been heard ever before, and uh, mm. yeah, it's kind of like a sort of horror suspense mystery vibe to it, but done in a way which I think Czechs only really can. Yeah, yeah, very, 
and even then, I think comparing it to Christine by Steve, well, uh, John Carpenter's Christine, I think is probably doing a disservice as well. Well, yeah, I, I don't like Christine the movie. So. Oh, really? <laughs> that's, oh, that's a shame. <laughs> oh, I like it. Oh, that doesn't do me. That's fine by me. Compare away. <laughs> <laughs> but just on that, let's just compare for the sake of putting it in sort of the headspace of the movie. I think Christine is kind of, it's a succubus movie by any other name that mm. Uh, mm. it's very pulpy. It's John Carpenter for hire. It's him doing good work, but it doesn't really have that spark of it being an original prospect, an original project. Whereas oh. this, I mean, that's all true. It's it's not his. Pro- it's not, it's not, it's, Don't get me started. It's not his. It's not his project. He, he was a writer, a director of hire. But it's still enjoyable, man. Nah. I love, I love Christine. Anyway, I love Christine. Compared to what uh, Ferret Vampire is, Ferret Vampire is. Um, how would you pitch it in that regards? Yeah, mm. you know, you've mentioned Carpenter, and I see the Christine comparison. Now, Aiden's brought it up, but he was not the 80s horror legend I was thinking of because there is a scene in this where, after again, a, pr- a pretty steady build up in the first half, there's some outrageous stuff. You know, it's tense, there's a few laughs, it's perfectly good the first half, but about 50 minutes in, you have a scene where Jimmy Menzel, Oscar-nominated director of Closely Observed Trains, is finger-banging the throbbing bonnet of a sports car before <laughs> he opens it up and starts ripping the car's intestines out. And I'm just sat here thinking, how did David Cronenberg not get to this first? It, yes. It, it made me think of Titan, honestly. Uh, the, oh, so yeah, that's 20, good. 20, 30 minutes mm. of Titan. Which I think is probably a closer sort of comparison point than than Carpenter, honestly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because which is why I bring up the Christine comparison in general. Because obviously, when you look at the synopsis, you would think that. Yes, mm. but it, totally. But it's kind of the opposite way around. Yeah, um, yeah. It's it's an interesting one. Is uh, Ferret Vampire? But, but, and, but is it a good one? I think that is the question that both of you have to ask. Uh, because I'm yeah, because I'm kind of like spinning it around in my head. Because it's a very pedestrian film, don't you think? In a lot of ways, Apt before I get to, of, yeah. uh, of of words for a movie about cars, but yeah, it's it, it's like about five different things, and I think I can imagine some people drifting off when it's being a particular thing that they're not keen on it's kind Mm. of an absurdist comedy it's kind of a horror movie it's kind of a car racing movie i was very happy being sat in the middle of all of those different things for an hour Mm. and a half like i can understand someone being like well i didn't sign up for this no, I agree. Yeah, no, I enjoyed it as well. I think if only because I kind of like people babbling on about killer cars. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 my thing, okay? Killer car movies are my thing. Well, it's the science of it as well. It's not just them talking about <laughs> killer cars. It's like you try to sort of place vampirism in some sort of basis of reality. Like there's a scene where uh, the insane sort of uh, journalist character, the one, mm. the sort of the archetype in, you get in horror movies, the one who knows everything and comes along and he's really helpful and then inevitably yeah. he's killed at some point in a <laughs> tragically <laughs> ironic scene. But in this, he's shown a, um, was it Jerry Menzel who plays the, the male lead in this? Yeah, he's yeah. the male lead, not yeah, yeah. He's shown Jerry Menzel this, uh, this vampire movie, like it's documentary. <laughs> it's... It's the most surreal thing, and I think that sort of gets into the heart of the tone of this. It's it's a funny movie. Oh, completely, yeah. There's, yeah. I think the Titan comparison is very good because one of the great strengths Titan has is that it is all played straight, but you were always aware that Julia DeCorno doesn't mind if you giggle. Like, yes. it's, it's yeah. not a problem at all. And I think this has the same thing. There were some genuinely good jokes in this, like when Dr. Kaplan, Rob, the uh, the character you were mentioning, mm. is unfolding this ridiculous plot to Jimmy Menzel's character. Menzel just sort of thinks about it for a second and goes, and you worked all this out from one newspaper article. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I quite like, if we're talking about our favourite comic moments, I quite like the bit where, um, I think it's the micro. Uh, that's on like the oh, side yeah. of the road, tiny, like tiny, tiny little dinky car. 
yeah, tiny little dinky car, and then the window wipers are going off one by one, and Minzel goes to investigate, thinking, oh, yeah, this this car must be haunted as well. This is really off. And then there's his colleague just opens the door right in his face, going, hello, and then jumps out <laughs> at him. Yeah, you know, I, I, one, one thing I was thinking um, of while watching this, if this was remade in English language, that character would be played by uh, Paul Kerr. <laughs> yes, mm. yeah. Um, if you don't know that name off the top of your head, uh, he's basically the creepy guy in every British movie for like the past fifteen years. Uh, yes. He was the um, the principal in Anna and the Apocalypse. I think is yeah, English. yeah. It's a film I still haven't seen. He's been in Game of Thrones, Inside Number 9, Doctor Who, anything where you might need quite a creepy guy to be in. (laughs) He's got a niche, and he works it well. He's got a niche, and he aces it every time. Yeah. Um, What I really like about this as well, it's just that it's laid with subtexts and subtexts, which, I don't know, it's kind of weird. I mean, there's the the opening scene, which I think is also very funny. Um, There's where the, the doctor goes out of the ambulance and they have little budget on this to go for costumes. So instead of having like nurses' outfits, they just got white coats on. Yeah, He's knocking on all the car yeah. windows. Oh, please, please, turn around so we can get out and go and save this life. And it's just everybody who looks at the people, at, at the doctor, sorry, giving this really stern look. And there's this one little boy who, surely he's a meme quality because just the expression on his face, it made me laugh <laughs> quite a bit. But, yeah, I mean, the, the subtext I'm on about, though, one of them is just maybe it's implying that everybody in Czechoslovakia at this point really had tunnel vision and completely ignored everybody else. Maybe, yeah. And uh, to the extent that there's a scene later on in which it feels like out of the blue and kind of hard to explain why it's there. But a uh, little old lady crosses mm. the road. She gets in the middle of the road yes. and just cars are zooming past her and not stopping at all. There's a subtext there that you could unpack, but I think it's just better to ask you two what you thought of those little sort of uh, nods to the temperament of Czech drivers. <laughs> I've, it's it's a hard one because you could see it as like commentary on like uh, cars and like how cars are manufactured and and of course like um, this. I think there's it in the rally sequence itself and. Uh, where you have like the announcer announcing how like the statistics of like fatal car accidents oh and God, as far as ringside announces, he does not shut up, does he? <laughs> he does not. Oh, does, you know, he keeps <laughs> keeps talking on and on. So I think it's like it, it, I think Hurst is obviously tapping into a lot of angst in the anxiety of owning like a motor car, as well mm-hmm. as the production and the the kind of like the attitude like a lot of drivers have as well. Something you touched on, Rob, is is quite interesting to because I hadn't really considered it. I guess, you know, it probably was quite a low-budget movie, if only because most of the Soviet states were basically bankrupt by this point. Um, Mm. I I could be wrong. They could have diverted quite a lot of the national GDP into making a movie about a vampire car, but I doubt it. Um, Weirder things have happened. Yeah, I guess, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Actually, I'm pretty sure I saw that in that new Adam Curtis series. Yeah, that genuinely happened. Um, (laughs) But we've seen a lot of low-budget horror movies that go for a tongue-in-cheek approach Mm. because they they don't have the money to make something serious. And it's 50-50 with me whether these either work and become kind of infectious fun or they're just really annoying and you want to tell people to make a proper movie instead of half-arsing it. What Mm -hmm. I think is different here, and what I think is a very specifically Czechoslovak thing to go with our discussion of the tone of the Czech new wave, is that it's very arch. There's a dryness and absurdity to it, which is not the kind of humour these movies normally have. And I do think, as you said, the fact that, you know, you've got this insane situation with people being killed by a vampire car and everyone just keeps their head down and tries to ignore it. It, It's the kind of gag that works very well in a British context as well, but it's Mm. the kind of gag that you do not, the kind of very culturally specific humour that you don't normally get in low-budget horror. And I think it just makes the film feel really unique and different. That is a nice reference point, actually, because it does feel a lot like a 1960s, 70s British horror movie. It has yeah. the same sort of absurdity and tone to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you can 
get the same kind of sense of humour out of some Czech stuff as you can with a lot of British absurd comedy. It's that humour of being part of a nation of people who would rather do anything than cause a scene. And, Mm. you know, this is the kind of movie plot where someone really should cause a scene, honestly. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Well, it's the Ferrat Company themselves who I think are incredible. It's And it's interesting watching this so soon after the cremator where Hertz has shown that he knows exactly what real-world evil looks like. And the Ferrat mm. Company are, are, are the complete opposite to that. They're wonderful cartoon villains. This whole corporation made up of very elegant villainesses with sort of sharp black jumpsuits who... In one scene, relax by watching Jan Svankmeyer's early short, Punch and Judy. Is that what that is, was? That's what that was. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, it's just like a weird, beautiful sort of contrast of things as well. Like we have yeah. the modernity of racing cars and jumpsuits. And at the side of the race, there's all of them in sort of Dickensian sort of <laughs> pull. Uh, skirts and dresses and what have you, and those n- nice little umbrellas that you have. Yes, it's, it's it is an absurdist movie. This I didn't really quite grasp it when I was watching it, and I literally just started uh, finished it. Sorry, uh, as we start recording this, but yeah, this is a mm. it's an absurdist comedy. Completely, yeah. And I think if you go into it for a horror, I think you may be doing it a disservice and yourself because because yeah, it does have those elements. Because of course, well, it has like. um Obviously, when someone's foot is attached to the accelerator pad, um, it obviously runs on human blood. Yeah. So it definitely has that kind of surrealist am- angle. And also references zombies like a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. A surprising so, amount. But I think, as Graham said before, it's kind of a mixture of all these different genres and tones. And I think Hearst makes it, pulls it off staggeringly well yeah. into like a one, like an hour and a half movie for what he's trying to do. Yeah. It's it's not maybe something like The Cremator, where I think anyone interested in cinema needs to watch The Cremator, if only, you know, to be repelled completely by it. This is the sort of thing which I can picture someone disliking. I just also think that some of the people who dislike it are probably quite dull, really. <laughs> that's, that's their problem. Yeah. So, um, any closing thoughts on Ferrat Vampire? Anything that I- you want to bring up? I think that's covered it. I just, uh, I think we should spotlight again uh, how unexpectedly great an actor Jimmy Menzel is. That when the film needs him to be a sort of hard done by every man out of his depth, he's great at that. When it needs him to be a ranting conspiracy theorist who just freaks out at everyone, he's good at that as well. As as directors go, he's one of the best actors I've seen. And also, yeah. he's quite a hard yeah, dog in this as well. Yes, yes. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, I got that from closely observed trains, so it's, I was prepared for that. Besides, how that scene ends as well, <laughs> yeah, is uh, yeah, very um, hmm, interesting. Yeah, just uh, before I uh, jump to Aiden, there's one sort of character which I don't quite know what the intent was. Um, mm-hmm. There is a grandmother character who keeps on popping up time and time again, and. She, yeah, I just don't know how to really process that character. Uh, she gets sent to bed every time that Jerry Menzel turns up. Um, yeah, I don't really oh, know yeah. what that is either. I think that's maybe for a second viewing, perhaps. There's... Yeah, at one but... point she wheels away when she sees him. It's just, what's going on there? I don't get that. <laughs> that's that's a weird inclusion. Is that a comment yeah. on sort of Czech culture not really getting on with their elderly? I, I, I don't know. I don't know either. No, neither do I. And yeah, well, that's kind of nice, though, isn't it? Really, um, that I mean, there's so many movies that you watch them once and you know exactly everything that they're exactly. set out to do. Yeah, and having that that reason, that motivation, even if it's just something totally innocuous, like what's the deal with these old people in this movie? It's yeah. No one is ever going to say, you know, I've got the entire measure of a Gerard Hertz movie after one viewing, and that's part of why yeah. I love him. Yeah, he's very- yeah well, that, that, yeah, no, that's exactly like how I felt when watching The Creator for the second time, because you pick up all these different details that you didn't notice yeah. before, despite that being film being utterly horrifying for 
different reasons and ferret vampire being uh, i don't know just like this complete genre mix up of different ideas Mm. Yeah, it's it's just nice to pick up on the, all these different pieces from time to time on a few rewatches. Yeah. yeah. So, um, leading in the director himself, um, not just these two movies, anything else that you might have seen that he he's, he's helmed. What's your feelings on uh, Josh Hertz, uh, Aiden? No, I, I like I say, I think he's just um a great. There's some great stuff to be had in his filmography for like someone who, uh, like I said before, who like. He was Eastern European who honestly, sadly, has not really got a lot of prolific exposure in the West. And I say exposure because of, you know, with just it being the nature of his films, like not getting a release here at all. Mm. But at the same time, I think he was a prominent voice. I mean, obviously, for what he went through in early childhood, I mean, in terms of his experience, as Graham was uh, talking about before, but his time at the concentration camp. It obviously shaped a lot of his, you know, ideas as a filmmaker, and then obviously knows how to like graft them into his scripts or films wholeheartedly. I think you know he's a tremendous talent, really. I think there's a strength of like character of being a person as well, because what happened yeah. to him it destroy most everybody, honestly. Mm, yeah. To me, you know, what you're talking about is, yes, his strength of character, but also his understanding of what art is in that you can use art to re-examine traumatic experiences and to cut Mm. down real monsters to size. And that's what the cremator is doing. I think it's a... It's a great argument as to what you can do with a fictional story dealing with an issue as grave as this that you can't do in a documentary or a history book or any more quote-unquote respectable way of examining the issue. Mm. Mm. I think yeah. I think he's a bit of a hero of mine, if I'm honest, Gerard Hertz. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just bring in Margiana, which I think if you... Mm. One, uh, watch another one of his films. I think that one's a must because it's it's incredible too. Uh, a tale of two sisters against each other, poison each other, doing all sorts of horrible things to each other. Yes, and that's mm. that's definitely a check new wave movie. Um, and I'm assuming uh, if I watched it again with that intent and purpose, it's probably another sort of a metaphor as a movie for living under the communist state and the. In, uh, interaction yeah. with yeah. sort of day-to-day life i don't know but it tends to be kind of a common thing mm. but even then it's it's just such a delightfully camp gothic horror this is a guy who across three movies he's made a very austere sort of um holocaust survivor story mm. a campers <laughs> campers <laughs> hell vampire car movie and a gothic sort of hammer-esque I think that's probably the first way to describe my Hammer is a good one. Yeah, his his Beauty and the Beast is quite hammerish as well. I think Beauty and the Beast isn't my favourite of his films, although I do like it a lot. But I think it's the one that shows the most clearly what his influences were. It's very mm. gothic. It's very surrealist as well. It's got this sort of redesign of the beast as this kind of bird-headed man straight out of a Max Ernst painting. And I think mm. you can you can see a lot of the man in that movie. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's uh, four excellent movies, really. Completely. Um, we couldn't have went wrong with this episode, to be honest. And I think that's just such a nice way to end sort of a summing up that Graham just meant a bit of a hero of yours. I really, really like that. He's... Yeah, I mean, where can you go from that? Yeah. No, you can't. You can't indeed. So I think we'll we'll wrap it up there. Um. But yes, in the most recent few episodes, you'll notice that we don't have the bit of the back end of the show where we talk about other films that we've been watching. That has fractured off and become its own anarchic, landshark-obsessed, weirdo <laughs> little cousin <laughs> that we don't introduce <laughs> to uh, people's families, friends, you know, that sort of thing. Um, and that goes by the name of Last Night, as in what you were watching last night. And you can find that uh, on the Geek Show's Patreon uh, page, um, along with a bonus episode of another podcast that we'll get to in due course. Um, I'll be starting my uh, Unseen Asia tomorrow. I've been very busy. I meant to do this a long time ago. But to apologise for that, it's going to be hard-boiled because... 
as far as movies that don't have a distribution deal in the UK, it is criminal. I mean, what the hell, right? Yeah. I know, I know, yeah. I don't even think it has a distribution deal in the US either, to be honest. Crazy. It's really, yeah, it's mad. That's, that's that just one. a great place to start, honestly. Mm. But um, that'll all be pushed on social media, which I'll get to in due course. But before that, um, Graham Maiden, where can we, well, Graham first, where can we find you uh, on the internet? Well, uh, you can find me on Instagram, on Twitter at Graham W Films, as well as on the ultimate social networking site, Letterboxd, just by searching for Graham Williamson. I'm the host of the Geek Show's Pop Screen podcast, uh, which is, I think when this is going out, it'll be, we'll be gaming up for our, uh, our episode on Dance Craze, the Scar concert film with early footage from the specials, Madness, ah, Body Snatchers. Wow. Uh, yeah. Everyone you would want in a film about Scar, to be honest, is in that movie. Uh, so that's that's fun, and we also do a Patreon bonus episode every month uh, as well. Uh, I write uh, Doctor Who, classic Doctor Who reviews for the Geek Show's Patreon. Uh, again, she just published the one on the Visitation, starring Peter Davison, and I'm a writer for Byline Times and Horrified as well. Hmm. Aiden. As for me, you can find me on Letterboxd under the username AidenF, um, and I'm also on Twitter at Doco and Drummer. Uh, that's about it. Yeah, I, I, I don't have a, I don't have this never-ending list of qualifications <laughs> that Aiden has. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to follow that, but anyway, uh, you can find me on across social media at Uncut Robcast. That's I really should change my Letterboxd username for that, but you can find me searching for for Rob Simpson there. Uh, that's on uh, Twitter, Instagram. I did have a Mastodon, but I deleted it because it's confusing. Uh, it's quite annoying, isn't it, Mastodon? It, it had a good shot at becoming the lead social network, and then people actually saw it, which was a mistake. <laughs> and uh, got confused and left. Yeah. Basically. <laughs> so uh, yeah, that is it for this week of Directors Uncut. Next week or next episode, I should say. Uh, we are back with part one of two parts about James Wan. So I look forward to that. Until next time, this has been Directors Uncut.